Fight Owl Nation, you are now listening to the Owl Chat Podcast, your one-stop shop for everything Kennesaw State Athletics, with your hosts, Kai Millette and John Finer. Welcome to week two of the KSU Baseball postgame Owl Chat Podcast, covering the Clemson series, where the Owls took one of three from the Tigers. I'm your host, John Finer. I am joined by one of the best to ever roam the grass at Stillwell Stadium. He probably doesn't need an introduction, but I will do it anyway. Uh, Josh Hatcher helped the Owls on the regional team of 2022, patrolling center field and hitting leadoff. In his only season with the black and gold, he hit 391 with 15 homers and 59 RBIs. He hit for two cycles in the span of, I believe, three games. Uh, He was drafted in the 10th round of the 2022 MLB draft by the Texas Rangers and is currently an active player in the Rangers system, most recently at Double A Frisco. They are the Rough Riders in, uh, I believe, the Dallas, Texas area. Uh, Appreciate you joining me today, Josh. Thank you so much for still having some love for the Owls and remembering us. For sure. Thank you for having me. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, you know, I guess the fans want to know, what have you been up to and like, how have the pros been uh, treating you? It's been great. I uh, just got out to Arizona um, on the 15th and I'm out here. I'll be out here for all of the rest of February and then uh, the rest of March for spring training. Um, just finished up the off season, you know, so it's it's time to get back into the swing of things for myself. Yeah, and you mentioned that, you know, even though you're not on the uh, non-invitee roster or the non-roster invitees, you are considered an MLB extra. Can you just kind of tell everyone what you're doing at spring training? Yeah, so the Major League Extras are a group of guys who are usually separate from everybody else. Uh, we don't we do not do anything with the big, big leaguers except for after, after our day is done, after we do like our defense, our running, our hitting, and then like our live BPs or whatever else we have that day, then we'll go and we'll change into our uniform and then we'll go to the stadium and we'll either, like if the big leaguers need somebody to like back up that day, like say somebody's only playing five innings or um, somebody wants like only two, two, three at bats or something like that, then one of the guys who's considered a major league extra will go, will go into the game and play like the last half of the game, play like the last, however many innings it is that they need us to play. Oh, wow. So you have a chance to get into some spring training games. Mm-hmm. All right. That's definitely going to be something to watch. Hopefully we have some uh, players that will want to uh, take some time off. Um, so you, uh, you were a little bit up and down, I believe last season, looking at your numbers, you had some, you were just on a tear and then you went down a little bit, then you went back up a little bit. Um, what, what kind of changes are you making, you know, to adjust to the higher levels of pro ball? Cause you kind of went back and forth between, I believe, uh, high A and double A. Yeah, it's a, it's a long season. That's the, that's the first thing that I get out of it. Um, obviously it's the longest season I've played in my baseball career, but, um, yeah, like you said, I started in high and started off really well and then you hit a bump and then. Once you do that, obviously that's going to happen. Like I just said, it's a really long season in this baseball. So hitting a bump is inevitable. Um, but just finding out how to minimize that and and try to hone in on what it is you're struggling at at the play. Like whether like are you swinging the pitches out of the zone? Or are you not swinging the pitches in areas that 
me myself does damage. You know what I'm saying? I'm not swinging at pitches that I hit well. I'm not swinging at pitches that I don't hit well, things like that. But um, once you figure that out, it's just about getting back into the game and, you know, getting a hit here and there, play <clears throat> six games a week. You know, we have, have Monday, uh, yeah, we have Monday off, Tuesday through Sunday, and then you just—it's the same thing the next week. <clears throat> like I said, it's um, just a couple hits here and there to get you going again, and then after that, you'll get back on a roll, and then you'll and then you'll be good again. Yeah, and you're you're playing first base, I think, right? Mostly. Yes. Uh huh. I played. I played most mostly first base last year. I played a little left, a little right. I don't think I had a game in center. But, um, yeah, it was a lot of first base and then some left and right field. Okay. Was that intentional or was it just a position of need? Um, a little bit of, a little bit of both. Um, obviously, with our big league team winning the World Series, there's some phenomenal players up there. And then we have a phenomenal organization right now with players all over the field. So it's kind of like, like, like get in, like get in when you're, where you can, kind of something like that. All right. I can't wait to see you at catcher. Um, so let's move on to the, uh, well, not the game at hand yet, but I wanted to ask, did you happen to catch the end of the Wofford game on Wednesday, the midweek? Uh, yes, I did. Uh, oh man, that was crazy. We looked dead in the water and then, uh, in the ninth inning, we just, you know, we just caught fire and then Tanner Franklin was just huge. Three strikeouts to end it. I mean, couldn't ask for anything better than that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And what, you know. Um, do you think that propelled us to uh, possibly the game one win in Clemson? 100%. Uh, college baseball is all about getting hot and staying hot. Uh, just that ninth inning, just something caught and they sparked. And then they took that into Friday. And, like, I mean, we both saw it. Eight, what was it, 18 to 1? So, obviously, something clicked that they like and they just carried it on. Absolutely. Absolutely. So before we get into game one versus Clemson, I just want to go on to my people call it John Rance at this point. Um, people seem to like him. But before game one, I want to say that the Clemson gave us a single camera view from like below the press box. It was really high up. There was no score bug or anything. You couldn't tell what inning it was, what the count was. Um, you know, people were saying, oh, the softball games were going on. There were other events. You know, we didn't have enough students to do it. But you know what? You're Clemson. You're an ACC school. Hire students or hire some professionals. What the hell? Um, you know, I, I mean, come on. Like, we're the A-Sun team. We're the ones that, that if that happens, it's like, okay, well, you know what, Clemson? Come here and give us some money and we'll we'll give you a good broadcast. Like, I mean, come on. But, uh, you know, the announcers also didn't do me any favors. We'll talk about that later. But I also didn't like, you know, in the ninth inning when we're up 17 runs, talking about how Tanner Franklin's in the game. Um, you know, that that wasn't very cool. It was actually Caden Carroll. Uh, I was getting ready to go off. Like, what the hell is Co putting in Tanner Franklin in a 17-run game for? What is going on? Uh, but luckily, that was not the case. Um, so let's get into the summary of game one. Absolutely tremendous. I mean, good shit. Uh, that's that, that's all I can say. We scored 17 unanswered runs. Clemson scored a meaningless run in the eighth, and KSU added one more in the ninth uh, to make it 18-1 Owls as the final. I don't even know where to start summing this one up, so I'll just say if you want all the dirty details, read the box score. Um, every KSU starter, one through nine, had a hit and scored a run. K 
Cash and Hassan homered. Hassan had five RBI. Chirello and Edson had three apiece. Brooks had two. Uh, Nick Hassan and Jackson Chirello led KSU with four hits apiece, while Corbin, Cash, and Anderson had a pair apiece. Uh, Braden Osbolt, uh, six scoreless innings. Uh, this was actually the biggest home loss for Clemson since they lost 18 to nothing in 1936. Uh, fun fact, I was actually at that game. Um, you can see me behind third base. So, you know, put that game on ESPN Plus in 1936 and look out for me. Um, every pitcher in the game for Clemson gave up at least two runs. Uh, this also ended Clemson's 32-game streak dating to 2023 of not trailing by more than three runs at any point in a game. Uh, that tidbit was from Tiger Illustrated. Josh, what were your first thoughts after watching this one? That's a phenomenal win. Going on the road and taking one from, what What, what were they, number 10 in the country yeah. at the time? 10 or 8, however you want to you know consider it. Yeah, whichever publication you're looking at. Taking, taking, taking it to a top 10 team like that on a Friday night is something that not a lot of people can do or have done. That's a really tough thing to do. But um, like you said, you just read out um, Osbolt's line, like out of a Friday night guy in the, in college baseball, that's exactly what you want. You need somebody that's going to go out there and just dominate like in all facets of the game, <clears throat> pitching wise. And that's exactly what he did. You know, once you, once you get some run, runs behind a, a Friday night starter like that and he's rolling like that's just a recipe for success you know get him a, get him a few runs get him a little lead there play some defense behind him and then just let the big dog does what he do, does what he does you know yeah he went six innings one hit two walks seven strikeouts and no runs on 84 pitches he retired 15 of the final 16 and the only one to reach was on an error uh, he ran his fastball up to 95, sat around 91 to 92 with heavy two seamers, uh, good changeup, and mixing in a slider. Um, I know you couldn't see much from the angle. Um, unfortunately, we couldn't really appreciate it like we should have. But, um, you know, doing that to a team like Clemson kind of says everything you need to know. Um, you know, that was tremendous back uh, bounce back effort from week one. And, um, you know, you've seen Osbolt pitch before, I'm sure, in the past. You think we might have an ace on our hands? 100%. <clears throat> Going forward, obviously, he's the guy right now. Uh, this is his second year, right? He's a sophomore? Yep, yep. He started last year on, I believe, most Sundays. Okay, yeah. Um, going forward, it's he's definitely the guy. He's the He'll be the face of the rotation and the face of this pitching staff for the rest of this year and next year. He's definitely the guy that you have to throw out there on Friday nights to to give you the best chance to win he's a kid can really pitch yeah he's going to be a draft guy in uh 2025 for sure for uh sure. yeah so I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing his development how he can get better all that kind of stuff but because if we can run him out there every friday night and get this kind of effort or at least you know uh, a quality start I i'll take that on a friday night um so let me uh, talk a little bit about um, Shamar McDuffie, our shortstop. He's struggled to start the season. Uh, he did not get in on the early fun on Friday night, uh, but I really enjoyed Josh, how he got his first hit. Um, and I'm not sure if you saw this on the broadcast, but I found it hilarious and I tweeted it out. It's the eighth inning and it's 15-0 KSU. Game is all but over. McDuffie steps to the plate to start the eighth inning. 
the announcers are cutting up. Both of the morons are making jokes, having a good time. You know, they're like, Clemson's down. What can we do? Let's have some fun. They talk about how McDuffie's the only player without a hit. So the he got in the bat in the batter's box. They called him the rally killer and mentioned jokingly that he might be cut the next day for being the only one without a hit. Less than five seconds after he said he might be cut the next day, he hits his first and only hit of the season into center field. And then they blame the announcer's jinx. So I won't make you talk about that, Josh, but I would like to uh, ask you, what do you think of McDuffie's defense so far? It's really good. He can play defense from um, <clears throat> when I'm back in Kennesaw for the offseason. You know, I live up there. and That's where I train for the offseasons up there at the school. So, I mean, I've gotten to see him for almost the whole fall and then this spring when they got back. But he can, he can really play defense. Yeah, and he's struggling at the plate a little bit early on, which which happens to freshmen. It's fine. He's in there for his defense. I'm sure he knows that. Um, but, you know, we want to see him get a little bit better. Like your friend Tyler Simon, uh, you know, he started at KSU. He was actually – he actually hit really well his freshman year, pretty well. Uh, but, man, that, that kid can play defense, and that's why he's in here. It's hard to find shortstops, you know, at uh, at this level. Um, you know, what can you tell us about knowing Shamar? I guess you know him personally a little bit. Um, what's his personality like? What is his mentality? Um, I haven't I haven't really had a lot of interaction with him. You know, I've said said what's up to him a few times here and there and had a couple conversations with him, but like you just mentioned, it's it's hard for a freshman to play shortstop up in college baseball. It doesn't matter what conference it is, like going out there and being the staple of the defense and really commanding the defense is is something that not a lot of people can do, let alone a freshman. So I feel like just giving him, putting confidence in him and telling him like, hey, go play shortstop, play it exactly how you can, and like everything else will be fine. Like hitting, obviously, that's that's a whole nother thing. That's something that he can improve on this season. There's a whole season left. This is the second weekend of the season, you know, obviously. It's a long time there, and then, you know, whatever, moving forward, like in the offseason, if that's something that he really wants to focus on. But um, defensively, he the kid can really play. But um, just the mental capacity that he's taking on right now as a freshman um, is something to to look at and be astounded by if he can do it the rest of the season. What's the biggest thing that you took as a hitter? Um, you know, obviously you came in at, I believe, Mississippi State. You know, you weren't the player that you were at Kennesaw for, you know, you had some, you had a good year or two, I think, at Mississippi State, but you weren't that dude until you came to Kennesaw State. What is it that, you know, clicked for you at Kennesaw State? Or what What are some of the things that started clicking for you as a hitter and you've kind of figured it out? Um, so when I was getting ready to transfer, um, I didn't really know where I wanted to go. And then um, I had a I had a really good relationship with uh, Derek Tucker in high school from him scouting me from back then. He was I played in an event called East Coast Pro down in Tampa, and he was one of my coaches down there. And um, so, like, I've known him for a while and I just had a, I just had a lot of trust in him and have a good relationship with him. And then when I got there, him and Co like they just told me like, Hey, look, like we want you, like they wanted me to be myself. Like they wanted me to go out there and do what I can as a baseball player. And that if I go 
if I go four for four that day, or if I go zero for four that day, that they're going to put me in center field, and I'm and I'm going to hit lead off the next day. You know, like that's the them instilling that confidence in me. I think is really what allowed me to take off. Like knowing that I have the head coach and the assistant coach, like those are my two biggest fans per se at that moment and during that season. Like instilling that confidence in me and that like having somebody like that behind you to push you and make you go is something that like can really get you going and i have a feeling that love for co is while you're why you're here talking with me today and doing uh doing this podcast so exactly all right so um you know let me kind of set the scene here we scored uh 18 runs on friday um you know as a fan those of us who haven't played a game you know we're all saying stuff you know whether out loud or not to the extent of wow, I hope we didn't use up all of our runs for the weekend. I'm worried about Saturday and Sunday now because we scored so many runs on Friday. Um, and I kind of do feel that way. Um, you know, kind of, uh, you know, tell me, uh, you know, tell me, Josh, should we be putting that um, thought to bed? Or is there kind of a truth to that? What do what do pro baseball players think or even college baseball players? Um, It's not, I don't think it's something to to look into. You know, it's, it's, it's baseball. It's a hard game, man. There's, I mean, you can go out there and score 18 runs one day. You can score none the next day. You can go back-to-back days scoring 18. But, um, no, nah, in, in college baseball, it's just, I mean, I don't think it's anything that people should look into. You know, I know it's funny to joke around and stuff. Like, I mean, players do it, too. Like, you get you get four hits on, on that Friday. You're like, well, I got all mine for the weekend i'm not getting any again you know like yeah it's just it's just a it's just a joke it's fun it's a fun time okay i'm glad to know that you know i know baseball players can be superstitious and stuff like that so you know all right let me i got my four hits on friday you know let me pack it up and i'll see you guys next weekend dogwood golf club is a truly unique hybrid golf club conveniently located near smyrna vinings and marietta the course is hybrid because they offer both membership and daily fee play Owl fans, be sure to mark your calendar. The Owls Collective has a golf tournament scheduled for Monday, June 10th at Dogwood Golf Club to raise money for KSU athletes. Go to owlscollective.com for more details. Dogwood is a longtime supporter of all things Kennesaw, so be sure to visit their website at dogwoodgolfclub.com. Dogwood Golf Club, an official sponsor of the Owl Chat Podcast. Game two is, you know, Saturday. Um, how are you feeling heading into, you know, after that game one? Because we did beat uh, UAB on that big game one on uh, last Friday. And then, you know, we lost the next two. What were your kind of thoughts? Feel, you're feeling good going into it. Um, I actually play with a guy. He's out here right now. He went to Clemson last year. And um, and I've been and I've been telling him, like, uh, I'm ready to watch the series and stuff like that. And then after that, after that Friday game, uh, we get to the locker room across the street on Saturday. And I'm like, I'm like, we got to, we got to go watch the house after this. Like we got to hurry up. And then, but um, no, nah, I'm just joking with him about that. But um, I mean, you have to feel good going into that Saturday game, right? You just beat the, be the top 10 team in the country, 18 to one. You beat their Friday night starter. And then, that game Saturday, they how many errors did Clemson make? It was what Sick. five, six. It was insane. Yeah, it's when I mean we scored, we lost that game what eight to six, right? Yes, sir. So, I mean to go out there and and play that type of a game against them again is, 
I mean, that's no small feat. It, obviously, it's it's tough to win any any game at at Clemson in a top ten team's place like that. But um, I mean, I thought I thought it was a I thought it was a solid game. I think we left a a little bit more out there on the table. Obviously, is I mean, you can you can say that about any game ever, but. Um, just when a team makes that many errors, you know, you want to capitalize so bad and you just want to do so much more when there's that many mistakes made and stuff like that. But I mean, you can't, you can't be mad at the guys for going out there and playing the way they did that game. So, I mean, obviously there's a bad taste for the loss, but I mean, respect to the guys for playing as hard as they did. Yeah. And let me kind of go, um, you know, kind of go over what happened in game two. Um, we did have a, uh, you know, a college quality broadcast, an ACC quality broadcast on Saturday. So you could actually see what was going on during the game. Well, that was fun. Thank you for that, Clemson. Um, you know, as I said on Twitter, I guess they found the change in their couch and decided to uh, put some of it to good use. Um, so going into game two, uh, Isaac Bouton started things off in the first with a homer to left that gave the Owls a 1-0 lead. So Owls fans were probably feeling good again early on. Uh, Clemson followed with a pair of homers off Ida, which made it 3-1 Clemson. Uh, the Owls tied it up at three in the fourth inning with uh, RBI singles from Brooks and Hassan. Clemson went up 5-3 in the fourth on a Canarella single, running Ida from the game. KSU got one back in the fifth on a Hanson infield single that made it a 5-4 uh, Clemson lead. And fast forward to the seventh, Zach Corbin scored on a bunch of bizarre plays that we'll talk about later to tie it up at five. Um, Isaac Bouton ended up scoring on an error, but unfortunately Anderson was thrown out trying to sneak home at the end of that play to end the inning. But the Owls were up 6-5, heading to the uh, to the eighth, bottom of the eighth. Um, it's Edson, uh, Braden Edson returned for his third inning of work and gave up a leadoff homer to tie it at six, followed by allowing two base runners on. Uh, Tanner Franklin came on in relief and get, allowed both base runners to score on a single and sack fly to make it 8-6 Clemson, and that was the final score. As you mentioned before, Josh, Clemson gave us six errors to work with and seemingly wanted us to get the win, uh, but it wasn't meant to be. Uh, the X factor of the game from beginning to end was the wind. It was swirling. Uh, Clemson had a few homers that were heavily wind-aided. Uh, the Owls had a few hard-hit balls, like from Hanson and Anderson, that may have been gone in right field at Stillwell, but were kept in at Tigers Park. Also, Tanner Franklin had one hit off of him, to be fair, that maybe the wind kept in the park as well. So, um, in your opinion, how much did the wind change the game? A lot. The wind, the wind was the biggest impact on that day. There's the home run that um Braden gave up the center field late in the game. I don't I don't think that ball's supposed to get out. I mean, I did as soon as it was hit, I was like, I was yelling in the room. I was like, that's another one. That's an out. Camera turns around and the ball is over the scoreboard almost. And I'm just like, golly. And me and uh me and Tyler Simon text back and forth throughout the whole game, just just talking back and forth about everything. And and I'm like, bro, did you see that? And he's like, bro, that's an out. Any any other field in the world, that's an out. And I'm like, God, like that's that one's a tough break. And then the uh the ninth. I thought Donnie smokes that ball to center field, wind knocks it down, and then right after, I thought Spencer homered, wind knocks that down for an out. So, I mean, if 
if the wind is changing, then I feel like that game's flipped upside down late in our favor. Yeah. So like that's just that's just tough to swallow when you're throwing really good like Braden is, and then you get somebody to pop a ball up and the I mean, and it just goes over the fence. Like that's unfortunate. And then we should have had a couple go our way, but it just didn't. So Yeah. And let's let's start off with Blake Ida's performance. Um, you know, you got a better look at this one because you know you could actually see what was going on. As I said, Clemson had a real telecast on Saturday. Um, what did you see from him? Um, you know, his line it wasn't it wasn't the best. He got ran in the third, um, a second, you know, a consecutive, I guess perhaps disappointing week for Blake. Um, what did you see out of him? I like it. Um, I think he can really pitch. I think he's got really good stuff. It's just being a starter, you just have to learn how to build each week, you know, like look at the week before, what did I do well? Did it, does it fit my profile? Does it fit what I do well? What hitters did I attack with, with my stuff? Like was my good stuff getting these people out or, or was I just making bad mistakes? Stuff like that. Like he, he just, he just has to build each week, you know, just keep going. Like I said, he, I think he's really good. I've seen him for a while and, I think he has really good stuff that'll play, and <clears throat> I think he's going to be just fine. Yeah, he's about he's usually about what eighty nine to ninety two, I think. Uh, but on Saturday, he threw three point two innings pitch, six hits, five runs, all earned, two walks, and two strikeouts. So that was uh, Blake's line. Uh, he started, I believe, in the, it was either started and relieved or just relieved in the Cape Cod League this past summer. So. You don't get invited to the Cape Cod League if you're not a legitimate talent with real potential. So, you know, I'm interested to see if he can build on that next weekend against Longwood, who I imagine, I haven't done any research, but I can't imagine they're as good as Clemson. Um, so um, before we move to the next, I just want to kind of tell a little story. I had a professor at Kennesaw State named Wally Thornton who worked, he was criminal justice. He was an old, grizzled former cop, but kind of a funny old dude. And he would always open scenarios with the phrase, let me set the scene for you. And then he goes on to tell his little cop stories and his funny old, you know, his funny folksy way. Um, so I'm going to use that phrase, you know, for quite a bit from here on out. So let's rewind to uh, Saturday, uh, the fourth inning. So let me set the scene for you. It's the bottom of the fourth. It's a 3-3 game. Blake Ida has been a bit shaky. He let two men reach on a walk and, a, and then a single, but mixed in a couple flyouts. Um, this gave Clemson runners on first and second with uh, two outs for Jack Crichton. Crichton hit a sharp ground ball back to Ida on the mound, but it went off his glove into no man's land. It's not ruled an error. It was a difficult play, but if you ask Blake, I bet he'd want to have that one back. It was, it was definitely a makeable play, I think. So now the bases are loaded. We have two outs and the game is tied at three. The Owls elected to keep Ida in the game to face Cam Canarella, who is the number four draft prospect in the 2025 class, according to D1Baseball.com. Canarella had already homered off Ida earlier in the day. In the Owls bullpen was Ryan Renfro getting hot, but the Owls stuck with Ida. Canarella ended up hitting a two RBI single before Ida got the hook when the Owls were down five to three. Personally, I think we left him in one batter too long with a big strikeout guy like Ida or like Renfro throwing in the pen. The coaches showed trust in Renfro last week versus UAB in a big spot with the bases loaded, but this week elected to let Ida try and get out of his own mess. Uh, it obviously didn't work. 
Renfro ended up coming in after the Canarella single and getting the next guy to uh, strike out, but not before the Owls were down 5-3. So, Josh, uh, what do you think of that situation? Do you think we left um, Ida in too long? Would you have kept him in to face Canarella? Or is it one of those situations where you you just don't know, you can kind of second-guess it either way? I think I think you can second guess that either way. That uh, Canarella kid. I think right now he's one of my favorite college kids to watch. Like that kid can really play the game of baseball. He can really hit. So I mean, I think I think that's like a you're just tossing up in the air there. Like I feel like in that situation, he's he scores a run regardless because I don't feel like in that situation he strikes out at all. So. I mean, you could you could try you could try to go with stay with Blake, <clears throat> get something in under his hands to beat into the ground, or you can go with Renfro who throws harder, like has a really good heater. But I mean, if he if he leaves something in the zone, then Canarella might get under it because that wind was crazy. You know, it may be another homer. But so I mean it's it's like a it's a toss up there. I mean I don't think there's a there's a wrong there's a wrong choice right there. When you what personally when you homer you know already in the game and you see that same pitcher again, is there something in the in your mindset that changes? It's like oh I got this guy where I want him or I got yeah for sure one hundred percent. And there's a there's a there's a very there's a you feel really comfortable in a situation like that if you this was this was his. Third at bat off of him? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. And facing somebody for the third time, like no matter, no matter what you've done, the first two at bats, you could have struck out and grounded out. And if you see a guy again for the third time, you're a lot more comfortable facing him than you are earlier in the game, much less have a hit and a home run all already off of him. So to the answer, yes, you feel a lot more comfortable. Yeah, that's why I, I think I would have gone, like I said, with the, you know, putting in Renfro. But again, it's it's a toss up. You know, it's a true freshman. Obviously, the staff is really high on him to even, you know, have him being the first guy out of the pen in the game that you really want to take. Um, but, uh, you know, that's just one of those things that, you know, kind of uh, went wrong. We actually we managed to tie it, you know, so that wasn't, you know, the deciding play in the game. Uh, so let me set the scene for you again. We're to the seventh inning. Owls are down one run. Zach Corbin leads off the seventh with a single to left. Uh, Clemson's pitcher then makes two errant pickoff throws, one to first and one to second. So Corbin's at third. And then almost immediately, it's a pass ball and Corbin goes home. All in the while, Chirello is standing at the plate the whole time. So that's three free bases in a run. Have you ever been in a game where something like that has happened? I don't think so. I was watching that and <clears throat> he picked off he picked off a couple times to first before he threw it away, I think. And he throws that away and then the very next pitch he picks off again, throws that away. And then if you you've picked off three times to first and the third time you throw it away and then the next time you throw the ball in the center field there's just there's absolutely no way that you're logged in on throwing a pitch to the plate. So, I mean, that pass ball is no surprise there at all. Yeah, when you're, um, you know, when that happens, you're thinking like, okay, this is our game. This is kind of meant, you know, meant to be. Like all the rhythm is, all the all the good 
uh, Mojo is with us. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case overall. Um, you know, Isaac Bouton ended up, uh, you know, putting the go-ahead run in six to five, but Anderson was thrown out with a perfect throw. That had to be a perfect throw to get him at the plate. Unfortunately, it was. Um, if the Owls were up seven to five, I mean, that might have changed the entire game. It might have taken some pressure off of Edson, might have given the coaches more freedom to, you know, put in another arm. Things could have been different, but that wasn't the case. We're just playing with unknowns here at this point. Um, so let me set the scene for you again. Um, you know, the Owls were up six to five going into the bottom of the eighth on Saturday. We needed six more outs. Great Edson was in his third inning of work and about, I want to say, what, 30 pitches in? with just about uh, two days rest after throwing 78 pitches in the midweek on Wednesday. Keep in mind that he's the only healthy lefty on the roster with Franks and Cooper unavailable. So to start the inning, we kept Edson in the game to face the righty Hinderleiter, who already homered off Ida in the third inning. Hinderleiter ended up getting a leadoff homer off Edson to tie the game at six. And Josh, that was the homer that you mentioned that kept traveling, correct? Yes. Yeah. So then we left. So we did not take out Edson there. Um, once the game was tied, we then left Edson in to face three more batters, which ended up first and second. And then we got a sacrifice bunt. So it ended up with second and third with one out. And that's when the Owls made the call to the bullpen. Uh, Tanner Franklin got the call or hoping he could work a mini miracle to get out of it with runners on second and third and one out. Unfortunately, both runs ended up scoring when the next hitter right had an RBI single and Mathis hit a sack fly RBI to make it 8-6 Clemson. Uh, Franklin avoided further damage, but 8-6 was the final score. Um, Josh, uh, do you agree leaving Edson in there or would you have gone to the strikeout guy, Tanner Franklin, in a big situation? You know, he did, you know, he did just have that appearance on Wednesday against Wofford where he struck out the side in the ninth. Um I think I, I feel like that home run would have would have dictated it. Like like I said, that it should have been an out. And then you get that one out and then Braden cruises like he always does. But I mean since that ball goes out and like you said Braden Braden's been throwing a lot recently. Um I mean, maybe, maybe the move to Franklin there, like it's not a bad idea, you know, give Braden some more rest, you yeah. know, don't just don't. Uh, just, and we're talking in hindsight here, Josh. I mean, yeah, I mean, sure. just like an inning or two earlier, Edson got out of a bases loaded, no out situation without giving up anything. So, exactly. you know, so again, we're, we're talking hindsight here. Um, but, you know, at the at the moment, you know, I think I would have I would have taken him out after the homer wind aided or not. You know, like like I said, he threw 78 on Wednesday. Um, we he is, you know, when he loses his velo on his fastball, you know, he kind of he's suffered in the past and we don't want him to get too worn out or anything like that. So, you know, I, I just fear that we're kind of overusing him a little bit. This I know it's only a second appearance, but I wish we could spread it out, a you know, a little bit more. Um, the, the only thing I could think of as why we kept him in there as well, we were possibly trying to get him through more batters to face Canarella for the second time, since he's our only lefty. Um, but again, you'd be facing him for the second time. And also after Hinderleiter hit that leadoff homer on Edson, the, the lineup turned around. So everybody after that leadoff homer, Edson would have been seeing them for the second time, 
which is kind of, you know, the point of perhaps diminishing returns. So I think I would have gone to the bullpen and made the call for Tanner and just hope that a fresh, you know, arm with, you know, the base is empty in a tie game, you know, could get a strikeout or two, keep us in it. Um, but again, like I said, we're just playing with hypotheticals here. We don't know, you know, the situation. We don't know, you know, anything that the coaches know. So exactly. game three. All right. I got a rant for you, Josh. You ready for this one? Yeah. All right. So another rant on the announcers. Um, we're back to a crappy camera angle from outer space. Uh, but at least this time there was a score bug on the screen. So you knew the inning and all of that stuff. So for the entire game, the announcers kept calling Spencer Hansen, Spencer Hudson, mostly just Hudson. I personally don't know how you do that for an entire game on the third day of the series when it's one of the best players and not catch yourself eventually. Um, so let me tell you this. If I was a KSU player or coach in that locker room, I would be calling Mims, Hansen Mims all week and would be calling Spencer Hansen Hudson. Uh, I, you know, that would just amuse the hell out of me personally. Uh, but the announcers also called Nolan Sliver, Nolan Silver. Um, I don't think I've ever seen a name messed up so often by announcers in all of my years watching sports. I mean, and it's not just a mispronunciation thing, which I wouldn't mind as much. It's that they don't know how to read or they there's a typo and they're trying to correct for the typo by saying silver instead of sliver. On Wednesday, it was Noah Sliver. So they got the hard part right in Sliver, but they botched the first name. Um, so, but to be fair, when we signed him until he got on campus, I had no idea how to say it and I didn't need to know how to say it. So in my head, I thought it was Nolan Sliver. But again, that's a pronunciation thing. How hard is it to read Nolan versus Noah and Sliver or Sliver versus Silver? You see the L is before the I, Josh. That's what gives it away. All right, my rant is over. Um, thank you guys for listening and not tuning us out. This is what you get with the Owl Chat Podcast. Um, so game three to summarize. The Owls lost 7-2, to two, unfortunately. Clemson took a 2-0 lead in the first inning, aided by errors from Chirello and probably a bigger error from Bouton. Clemson ran Owls starter Smith Pinson from the game in the bottom of the third after a single and two walks. Pinson lasted just 2.1 innings pitched. Nolan Sliver... Oh, God, now I'm starting to question myself if I'm saying it right, honestly, as I'm reading this. Like, I want to say, like, Noah or Sliver. But he came out of the pen for Pinson and walked one of Pinson's runs home before getting out of the mess. This made it 3-0 Clemson through three complete. In the fourth inning, Clemson added one more, thanks to an error on Bouton that would have been out number three. That run went to Sliver, but was unearned. Hudson Mims came in to pitch the fifth with it being 4-0 Clemson, and set them down 1-2-3. Mims returned for the six, gave up three hits, a hit by pitch, and there was another E9 before being removed from the game. Mims' line was two innings, three runs, and two earned. This made it 7-0 Clemson through six. In the ninth, the Owls added two runs, but it was too late. Um, so before we kind of go into any discussion on uh, Smith Pinson or anything like that, I just want to talk about there was a collision. I think it was in the third inning. Nate Anderson and Jamari Brooks collided in the outfield. And again, we were in the outer space camera, so we couldn't really tell what happened. But both were down and it didn't look like either one of them was moving from afar. So, you know, I was I was scared shitless. I texted, you know, I think I texted you, Josh, and I texted some people like, oh, shit, Brooks and... Uh, you know, Brooks and Anderson collided and they're not getting up. I was worried. 
because I thought there was one out. So I was really worried, right? Because if your responsibility is to throw the ball back into play and you have any chance of doing that, you're going to get your ass up and throw the ball in if you can. But luckily there was two out, so they could just chill and, you know, take it slowly, garner a little bit of sympathy, see what was wrong. Uh, luckily, they both got up. Anderson limped off the field. Um, both stayed in the game. Anderson stayed in towards the end. Brooks was subbed out for Chris Cole a little bit later, but he did get a hit and another at bat. So, you know, unless these guys are going to wake up bruised and sore, you know, it looks like they avoided some serious injury. So that was definitely a plus there. It could have been a lot worse. And again, because of the camera, we'll never know. You know, I'm sure we can if we ask them, but we, I might never know what actually happened that day. So um, Smith Pinson's final line, 2.1 innings, uh, five hits, two walks, three runs, one earned on 63 pitches. This is the second game in a row where Pinson has struggled in the first three innings. Uh, he was able to get back on track for UAB to have a quality start, but not so much against Clemson. Uh, what did you see from Smith on Sunday, given the limited camera angle? And, you know, feel free to talk about what you know about Smith from having played with him for a year. Smith is somebody who's going to go out there and eat up a bunch of innings. Um, Sundays in college baseball, it's it's really a, a bullpen day. You know, you're hoping to get four, maybe five out of a starter on Sunday. If you get five out of your Sunday starter, then then that's a humongous plus. But um, go, him going out there and, and giving you three, that's, I mean, that's, obviously it's not ideal. But, I mean, a, a few tough errors here and there kind of shorten his outing. But, I mean, that's going to happen. But, I mean, Smith is, he's definitely the guy that you want out there on Sundays in college baseball. Like I just said, it's, it's somebody who's going to go out there and give you as many innings as he can in a short period of time. And that's something that he's done throughout his whole entire career. And it's something that I really enjoyed watching when I played behind him. It's, I mean, it's a lot of stuff in the strike zone. It's working quick. It's a lot of, it's a lot of stuff that people haven't seen before. So like having him out there on Sunday is, is a really good, is a really good plus for the Owls for the rest of the season, for sure. Yeah, Smith is, uh, you know, Smith is a tremendous pitcher. He, you know, he he didn't have it going today. And, you know, when you throw, you know, it's probably a little bit tougher for him to go through the lineup twice. You know, he throws a lot of change-ups and things like that. Uh, but he needs to really be on. He's not going to blow the ball by anyone, I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, but, yeah, back when you were playing, uh, Smith Pinson was actually pretty much the entire bullpen. I think it was like Pinson, Ryan, and Prey uh, was the was the bullpen that year. Um but he, you know, he's so much better than he pitched against Clemson. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing him bounce back next weekend at Longwood for, at home. Uh, so hopefully Stillwell Stadium can allow him to shake off the rust and, you know, go dropping down a level back to another mid-major might help as well. And, you know, the big difference having played at Mississippi State and having played at Kennesaw State, Josh, and just overall in college baseball, it's the pitching, isn't it? The depth. 100%, 100%. People ask me all the time what the what the difference was from the SEC to going and playing in the A-Sun to playing all these mid-majors for the whole year. And I'm I'm going to say I'm gonna say this right now. People can say what they want. People can believe what they want. The entire talent level, take away the pitching depth, the talent level, even playing field. I played against some of the best players I've ever seen in the A-Sun who 
who these big big time schools didn't even recruit for I mean who knows why but the talent level minuscule but like you said the pitching depth is the difference obviously like the talent level there is completely different because I know at Mississippi State we had guys who didn't throw a whole lot they didn't have a lot of innings and they're and they're throwing 97 to 100 and obviously that's not the case at most mid-major schools you know but I think you hit that on the head with pitching depth being the biggest thing yeah and I feel defense perhaps as well at times you know it might be tougher to find you know a good premium you know shortstop or perhaps a catcher or you know something along those lines defensively you might get better athletes overall in the uh you know in in the sec and acc but it doesn't mean that they're better baseball players necessarily exactly so um you know speaking of some errors that you we spoke on earlier we had four on sunday compared to one on friday and none on saturday um i was getting prepared to compliment the defense for an awesome weekend until we had the four on sunday uh bouton had two and chirillo had two and i'm not throwing them under the bus or anything like that I, this is kind of relevant to my question to you um so errors can affect players in different ways for example we all know it can affect pitchers you know making them throw more pitches more opportunities for them to get hit on um giving up outs but also the mood shift that you know it can happen in a pitcher that is not you know a good frame of mind you know like oh i should have been out of this inning right now but you know now i have to spend more because that idiot over there in short at shortstop you know messed up you know can you talk about are there any effects that errors can have on position players, whether even the position player that's making the position, making the play and made the errors or even just position players that are not related? Does it kind of affect the mindset like, oh, we have to overcompensate here to get back in this game or recover from it? That kind of thing. Um, as a as a position player, when you see. Somebody else make an error, it's like you're pissed off, but you're not pissed off at him, you're pissed off for him because I know that the person to my right is not meaning to make that error and they want to make that play because they want to make that play for whoever's on the mound because you've went through all this, all this shit during the fall together. You've went through a whole bunch of stuff that nobody ever sees or hears about. And like the pit, the pitcher's going to be upset, obviously, because he wants him to make that play. The field, knows it the guy who made the error knows it he's pissed off because he doesn't want to let the pitcher down and then I'm I would be pissed off because I know he wants to make that play more than more than anything like he does not want to be the one to make that error to allow Smith Pinson to get taken out of the game in the in the in the third inning rather than allowing him to go five you know what I'm saying yeah and you know just as a position player when you commit the error is you know, as a, especially as a young player, like, you know, Chirello's still a young player, a sophomore, Isaac Bowden, this is his first year in D1, um, even though he's a veteran player, you know, does making that first error, you know, is it just a coincidence or sometimes, you know, is there kind of a carryover to making that second? Like, it's, can it get in your head a little bit, even as a veteran player? Yeah, for sure. It can. Um, people say, like, short mindset, put it behind you. But when when you make an error, you know, it's like, damn, like, I really wanted to make that play and you know you're just like thinking about it and you're like I don't I don't want to make another one next ball gets hit to you here it comes 
know what I'm saying? You're still thinking about the other one. So that's where that's where it can get a little tricky. And it seems, you know, I've never you know played at it, but you know, in third ba- third base or shortstop, it seems especially tough since those are tough throws to even make on a pretty routine grounder. You see them all the time in Major League Baseball. The you know in the minor leagues, guys can probably handle them. You know, they practice all day every day. It's their it's their job. But in college, you know, you don't have guys at that expertise. Um, you know, as a, if for example, Jackson Chirillo, you know, he drops a fly ball, you know, he'll catch not, you know, a thousand out of a thousand of those, but you hit it on exactly. the ground to like an Isaac Bouton, you have to, before you make that throw, I mean, it could, I mean, it could get in your head. It just seems like it really could. It can, uh, like you just said, he, he'll catch a thousand out of a thousand of those, you know, he could go, he'll probably go the rest of the season without dropping another fly ball or Isaac will go the rest of the season without you know, missing another ground ball or making a bad throw. Like, it's just, it's going to happen. But, you know, at the same time, it's it's so magnified because of the moment it happens. And then you look at it in the grand scheme of things, and you, at the end of the season, you look back and you're like, damn, I had, I had one error or I had two errors. You know what I'm saying? But in that moment, it's so magnified. And it just feels like every, everything and everybody is centered around yeah. that. Yeah. And I just want to clarify, um, I don't think Chirello dropped a fly ball. I think it was just kind of fielding errors. But, you know, I was just using that as an example of I I was kind of just using an example of, you know, catching a fly ball is a lot more routine, you know, for example, than throwing it across the diamond, you know, right. It's much more repeatable to catch a ball. And, you know, we unfortunately we have had some drop fly balls last year. Hopefully it doesn't happen again. But uh, so the next thing I want to talk about, you know, is Hudson Mims um, or I guess Hanson Mims, as he's called now. Um, it's his first year pitching in college. Uh, you know, you know, Huddy, um, you know, you were there with him when he was a uh, freshman, played second base for you guys. He's not a big guy like Smith Pinson or Ryan Renfro. Um, you know, he threw two innings in the opener against UAB, ran him back out there for 38 pitches. Uh, this past Tuesday against uh, Mercer on Friday against Clemson, he threw another inning, um, even though we were up like 15 or something like that. And then two days later on Sunday, he threw 35 pitches. He was a good for one inning and then kind of got beat down, which I think kind of happened in one of his other outings. Um, you know, are we, you know, I understand that Frank's Meeks, Cooper Kane, all unavailable. Edson wasn't available on Sunday, but you know, what is the point of diminishing returns? You know, I I worry that Hudson Mims, you know, is not a huge guy and it could wear down his arm after, you know, he hasn't pitched before. We don't know what his, you know, limitations are. Should I be worried or should we be worried or am I just making shit up? No, I think, I think he'll be fine. I think he's going to be the guy who's going to lead the team in appearances and innings pitched out of the bullpen. Um, I had this talk with, it was somebody on the team. I can't remember who it was but um i was saying hudson hudson men's is going to be the guy who's probably going to throw the most innings out of the bullpen like that's just something he does as you've seen the games like he works really fast and he just goes out there and he just competes like that's a guy that you have to have throughout the whole season of a college baseball season that is just going to go out there whenever you put him put him out there he's just going to eat innings up and he's going to do it at a good pace and he's going to do it very well. Yeah. So I, I don't, he said this, this was his fourth appearance, right? Like you said. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think one of the other appearances, 
Um, you know, he kind of did well. And then he kind of, you know, in that third inning, I think it was UAB, they tried to bring him out for a third inning, then it kind of fell apart. So it's kind of, it's not a pattern yet, but it seems like, you know, you leave him in a little bit too long, then, you, you know, he's getting hit. I, I guess you have to figure out where you draw that line. Yeah, it's, um, it's early in the year. This, this was just the second weekend. And I feel like he's still building up because a lot of pitchers are still building up right now, this early in the season. And I feel like as the season goes on, he'll turn that two innings, he'll turn that into a third, then he'll turn the third into a fourth. And I think he'll just be somebody who, if a starter is ran out of the game early, that you could bring him in and he'll eat up that the middle portion of innings of a game to to tie in Tanner Franklin at the end. Because if you can get Hudson Mims to tie in a, a four-inning start from Smith Pinson on a on Sunday and Hudson can go fifth, sixth, seventh, tie that in. And then Tanner Franklin, who is phenomenal, by the way, that kid's really good and get get him a six out save. Then I think you're going to be, you're going to be set. Yeah, ab- absolutely. I'm, you know, I love what Huddy's been able to do. Hasn't played any second base for us this year because he's been, you know, needed in the uh, pen and Corbin's doing a uh, great job. Just a quick question. Have you, you know, I know he played second base when you were there. Um, you know, we, we didn't really have any infielders, so we didn't really put him in the pen. Did he ever pit, you know, did he ever throw, you know, in practice? Yeah. During, during the fall, he came, he came to KSU as like a two-way player. And during the fall, he was really good, but like he just couldn't. Like as a freshman, it's just really hard to handle pitching and hitting and playing defense as a freshman. So I feel like we needed him more defensively and yeah. offensively that year. So we just let like we just gave his body a break just to let him play. And then now they're needing him more on the mound. And I feel like he's contributing really well doing that. So. Yeah, he's a grown man now. You seen the mustache? Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's how you know he went from underclassman to upperclassman. He grew <laughs> a mustache. So good job, Huddy. Um, and also kind of cool. Um, I was surprised, you know, the announcers Fowler and Debrell didn't mention this last Tuesday. Um, his dad, Mike Mims, played for Mercer. Um yeah. and he played in the bigs for the Phillies. Yeah, from 95 to 97. How did yep. how did they not mention that? Well, I'm sure uh <laughs> if uh Coach Fowler is listening to this podcast right now. He's going to be a little bit angry, but uh, can't wait for your next call, Trey, against, uh, is it, it might be this weekend or it might be lo- uh, Longwood. I'm not sure. I know we got Jacksonville State this week. I don't know if it's at home or away, but whoever your next call is, Trey, I'll be listening. Um, so let me set the scene for you once again. Um, we're still in game three. Um, it's the top of the ninth. Clemson's up seven nothing. The Owls have basically conceded the game. We're pinch hitting Richardson for Bowden, Streeter for Chirello. Uh, Cole was already in, I think, for Brooks. Uh, you know, getting guys some at bats. You know, that's you know, you want to have guys you know still be involved and get to play. Guys appreciate that. Uh, but we ended up in a situation where we were really stringing together some base runners. We scored some runs. Uh, we cut their lead to seven two. It's the ninth inning. And then we had two men on base with two outs. Uh, Posey just uh, made an out, and uh, the game was up to Shem- shortstop Shamar McDuffie, uh, who has one hit on the season. Um, keep in mind, uh, McDuffie was 0 for 3 on Sunday. Um, we used him to bunt, you know, most games to advance the base runner. We had Nick Hassan and Donovan Cash unused on the bench, uh, both guys who are proven bats and already homered on the weekend. 
Um, you know, my take is right now it would it was seven to two. We had two men on. McDuffie was up. That's three runs right there at the plate. Um, if we didn't, uh, if we pinch hit Hassan, for example, for McDuffie, and let's say he draws a walk, then that leaves the bases loaded for uh, Braden Edson, and it, tying run would be on deck. So all of a sudden, you have a save situation if one more man reaches. You have Ke- Corbin due up. You still have cash to available to pinch hit for Richardson or Evans, who was put into the game. Um, my take is at that point, I don't care if you have to play musical chairs to assemble a lineup if the game is, if we do take the lead or get a tie in the bottom of the ninth, if you have to put, you know, freaking, you know, Boston Forbes at shortstop, the third string catcher, I don't care. You do it. Um, you know, I just wish we could have pinch hit McDuffie and kind of tried to at least take that 1% chance of getting a win. Am I wrong for this, Josh? Or is it does the situation change when you get to that point? Like, oh wow, we actually have a uh, you know some kind of chance here. Do we go for the win, or is it just okay? Let's let Shamar get that at bat, make him his development, get him some confidence. I feel like where the game was at the time, it was the it was the right call. If if the scores if the scores in seven four four area and. You know what I'm saying? If you homer, it's a tie ball game. Or if you homer, you're within one. Mm-hmm. Then I feel like you bring you bring in Donnie or Nick or somebody like that to try something because, you know, uh, uh, a one-run ball game, a tie ball game is completely different than a five-run ball game. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And this is just a matter of, you know, kind of in basketball, you know, do you attempt the three-quarter court shot? You know what I mean? If you're down three with, like, one second left or do you just – drop the ball and give it to the official. You know, it's kind of like that mentality. I just wish we kind of, you know, played a little bit more towards to the end. And again, that's just me being hypercritical here, just discussing for the sake of discussion. But it is kind of interesting. You know, if Posey had two walks and a hit on the day, if he if he didn't fly out in the ninth, you suddenly have bases loaded with one out for McDuffie. And at that point, I think you would definitely have to, you know, go exactly. to exactly. Uh, no doubt you put in, I think you have to put in Nick Hassan with the way things were set up. You know, you move Wade Richardson to shortstop, you put in Hassan to third. I mean, you, you make do you play musical chairs with the lineup, but um, you know, that's, that's the three games. The owls lost the series two to one. Uh, we did get some good eyes on the program. Thanks to that big performance on Friday night. I do have a couple closing questions, Josh, based on the weekend overall uh, Jackson Chirello, he continues to progress at the plate. Um, as somebody who is a fan and has not played the game at a high level, I can even tell that his eye is so much better. I don't know how much you watched him last year, but it always seemed he was he was just putting trying to put his bat at stuff and and guess, you know, just completely guessing. And now he looks like a much more disciplined hitter. Uh, what are you seeing from him? The same thing that comes with that comes with being older and having a plan and an approach like. As a freshman, most everybody is just up there trying to hit anything and everything thrown to you. And like Terrell has a chance to be a star. Like the kid, he can he can hit, he can really play. And I feel like if he just continues to develop and do what he's done so far this season, then then he'll be just fine. He's gonna be really he's gonna be really, really good. Yeah, people seem to think he'll be a draft pick in 2025 or at worst, you know, 2026. So he just needs to keep getting better, keep focused and listen to the coaches and, you know, continue to be coachable. I mean, coming out of Mississippi State, when you transferred to KSU, 
were you thinking, oh yeah, I'm definitely going to be a draft pick or were you like, man, I just need a chance. What was your mindset? So I was, I had a phone call with my dad. This was like a, like a week, a week or two before the, um, the season ended. I actually think it was right before we went to Omaha in 21 and, uh, we're on the phone and my dad was like, he was just asking me all these questions and everything. And I was like, and I told him, I said, Hey dad, look, calm down. Like, it doesn't matter. I said, what's going to happen is like, I literally told him this. You can, you can call him and ask him. He said, I said that I'm going to transfer to Kennesaw state. I'm going to have the best year of my career. And I'm going to get drafted. And then like that, that happened. And so I'm just really thankful it did. Yeah. We're, we love to have uh pro owls here. I think we've had somebody drafted in 15 straight uh, seasons and that's still going on. And you contributed to that, I believe. So um, we're hoping to, you know, maybe Blake Ida will be drafted after this season. Um, who knows, but he's definitely uh, an eligible sophomore. Most, a lot of people don't know that he's early eligible because I think he skipped a gap year. So um, that's something to watch for. Um, and probably some other players are eligible too that I don't, can't even think of. Uh, but yeah, I want to ask you just a couple more quick questions. Nick Hassan has had a very, very strong start to the season at catcher for KSU. He's hit 444 so far with one homer and nine RBIs. Uh, Posey had a solid game on Sunday against Clemson, one for two with two walks. Would you say Hassan's our number one catcher right now and gets to catch, you know, three of every four or so? Or would you say we're going to split it evenly? I would say as of as of right now, um, for the sake of Hassan, with all the production he's had offensively, because offense comes at a premium. That's something that you obviously you need to score runs to win games, right? Um, but I mean, everything I've seen from Posey this year has been tremendous as well. Like, I mean, splitting splitting it even is not a is not a bad decision at all. But um, I feel like Hassan, as of as of right now, because of the offensive production, should should be playing a little more. Yeah, you know, Post- but um. Posey started game one too. So, you know, it might've been Posey might've been on the top of the depth chart, but I think, you know, with the way Hassan, you know, he's a, he's a fifth year senior, I think, because of the COVID year. So he has the experience, you know, Uh, Posey, Mm -hmm. you know, Posey is a good, a good kid. He's not going to be mad if Hassan catches, you know, three of every four Posey barely got in last year. So, Mm -hmm. you know, he's going to use this year to get better. And, you know, the way it's lining up right now, you have two years for Posey to be that upperclassman, um, in 2025 and 2026. And I think that's exactly what he's going to be. That, that's a, that's a big, strong kid with a lot of juice and he loves to get better. He's, he's been in there the whole off season that I was in there working with Tyler Tolby on catching, trying to get better every single day. And then I've hit with him a few times, a pretty good amount. And he's somebody who, like you just said, next year or the year after that, or whenever it may be, if he gets drafted after next year, or if he stays again, like, I think he's somebody who who we can look forward to to like lead this team offensively, defensively, yeah. in the dugout, off the field, stuff like that. Yeah, I think it's his to lose because we have two uh, freshman catchers coming in next year. So, you know, unless the freshmen really uh, show out, um, you know, Posey could be in for some serious playing time. Um, so I have a similar question for you uh, with Braden Edson and Donovan Cash at first base. Uh, the Owls, you know, obviously can't play Edson, Hanson, and Cash all together unless you put, you know, Edson in the outfield for Chirello or Brooks, which probably won't happen much unless they're hurt. 
because you know you want to get your your stud young guys in there, right? You want to keep the future in mind and get them consistent playing time. And hopefully Brooks didn't get hurt too badly on that catch, and he'll be in there in the midweek. Uh, but so far this season, Edson is hitting uh, 235 with a 21% OBP, Cash uh, 261 with two homers and a 29% OBP. So neither is lighting the world on fire. Um, you know, Cash has had some you know questionable plays at first, but Edson's had an error, missed a scoop on Sunday that he probably probably could have made. Um, I, I don't know if there's a right answer here, but how do you split the playing time? Uh, I mean, there's not a right answer. Um, Braden can help a team in, in so many ways that you can use him so many different ways and he can do all these different things. So I feel like whatever they think is best for him that day to help the team win, is what would be best. Um, I feel like Donnie's showing, he's starting to show glimpses of two years ago, All-American Donnie. And if he can do that and consistently get back to that, then I feel like that could be the spark for this offense, you know, to, yeah. to help him score a lot of runs and and just get that offense moving. Like there needs yeah. to be like, like that was, that was Spencer last year and it's Spencer again right now. Like, and Spencer's going to do what Spencer does. Like he, we know, I know what he's going to do. I know what Donnie is capable of and what I'm hoping he can do. So I feel like he's, he showed, he showed that this season and he, and, and he really wants to be that. So I feel like he, he, I feel like he's going to get back on track and get back to that. But, um, and then Braden can help you. Braden can help you like offensively. Yeah on the base path, pitching defensively. So, I mean, if there, if there's a, if there's a point in time that it comes to it, <clears throat> when like you need to, if they need to shake some things up and get all three of them in the lineup at one time, I do not think that's a bad idea. You know, I think that could only help them. You yeah. Know? I, I think you can't, my personal opinion, we've been, you know, giving Hanson a day off here or there. I think you need to have Hanson in there every day at the DH, in my opinion. Um, I think you split Edson and Cash at first base. Um, Edson's going to get his time on the mound, and it looks like he's going to be even a bigger player on the mound than I might have originally thought. Um, and, you know, I want him to get a little bit more rest um, so his body holds up. So I'll be honest with you. Um, I, Edson's not playing gold glove defense right now, which is fine. We don't expect him to. But unless he was that gold glover defensively, I think you need to put in cash, you know, seven or eight out of 10 days at first base. Um, and, you know, I could flip flop on this, you know, cash might have a really bad game at first where it's like, oh, man, we can't run him out there the, you know, the next day. But I'd like to, you know, I want to preserve Braden Edson. He's very valuable. Um, and, you know, I, I don't want his velo tailing off like it might have done in past years. So, I say we preserve Edson and uh, you know run cash out there. He has the the higher potential with the with the power, the higher power potential, and the upside I think is a little higher. But like you said, Josh, you can't go wrong, you know, either way. Uh, so until Wednesday's game against Wofford, let me set the scene. Corbin was hitting in the bottom third of the lineup and was struggling a bit. It was only a few games, right? Like one series in the Mercer game. So the Owls moved Corbin up towards the top. Um, he hit. Uh, second in three games and let off one game, I think. Um, and then until Sunday, at least, when the entire offense went on vacation for eight innings, you know, Corbin did great Wednesday, Friday, and Saturday. 
what makes him the type of guy you want hitting in the upper third of the lineup, having hit in the upper third of the lineup with him? Now he's he's the experienced guy. Uh, I feel like piecing together him, Spencer, and then one more piece in there at the top of the lineup is is going to be huge. Um, Zach Zach is the main guy that that I would train with in the offseason. He's a guy I'll hit I would hit with every day, <clears throat> and what what we're seeing right now is what he wants to do, and that's what I expect out of him. Um, him being in the top of the lineup could really turn things around in terms of being a table setter. Um, sometimes every now and again, there's there's like some early swings and counts that you should be looking to do damage that just that's that doesn't happen right now. And I feel like getting him up there and allowing him to to do some damage and draw walks, steal bases, things like that. That's somebody that you have to have up there, which, I mean, I feel like he's doing a little bit of all that right now. He's, he's drawing walks. He's stealing some bases. He's getting hits and like having, having somebody like that, that can get into scoring position without hitting a double, without hitting a triple, whether that's walking, stealing a base, single, stealing a base, doubling here and there and just having those guys on for Spencer and Bowden, those guys like that gives you such a huge confidence when you're hitting. Like I know when I'm hitting and like, there's, there's literally certain guys that you love hitting behind. Like one of, one of my teammates who I joke about him with it every single day, but I'm like, bro, every single, every single game you hit in front of me, I have at least two RBIs that game. Like there's, a, there's just a confidence. Like, cause I know me and Tyler talk about us all the time. Like, Tyler loved me hitting in front of him because, because growing like me and me and Tyler grew up together. Me and Tyler have been best friends since we were seven years old, and and he's he's led off on every single team we've ever played on, right? Middle school, high school, travel ball, everything, and then so me leading off and my approach. I'm not. I I don't like to be in there for a lot of pitches. Like I try to make hard contact early in count. Oh, we know that, Josh. Yeah. <laughs> so, so that allows like that allowed Tyler to hit earlier, if that makes sense, to make him more comfortable. And now he's doing that with me in scoring position. So I feel like Cor that's what Corbin can be. He can somebody he can be somebody at the top of the lineup who sets who just sets the table for everybody else. Yeah. And I think we need Nate Anderson to really he's that guy that we need to be the leadoff hitter. Um, you know, he's, he's, he's had his moments. He's, you know, I think, I think once he starts playing some games at Stillwell, he'll, he'll have a little bit more pop than people think might get some balls out of there. You know, things might start going his way a little bit more, but I think he's going to be that guy that's first with Corbin second, because in 2022, you know, we struggled against UNC Wilmington. And then I think we moved Tyler into the two spot. He was hitting like sixth or seventh or something like that. And everything just clicked after that. And he was yeah. there the rest of the way. And Corbin was that, I think, in the third spot, fourth spot. Yeah. All right. So uh, final question. Um, you know, we only won one game out of three. Um, you know, it felt like, you know, Saturday was our game to take. I feel like, you know, with the six errors, you know, we kind of let that one go. Um, and Sunday, it, that was just Clemson's game. Should we consider this series a success? Should we consider it, you know, we we did okay? Or how how would you kind of put it? 
100% success. There should be no other thought about anything other than success. To to get into the postseason in college baseball, you have to win the series at home, whether that be two out of three or a sweep, and you cannot get swept on the road. If you do those two things the whole season, you will be in the postseason. You will, you will find yourself playing baseball in June, like mid-June, early mid-June. So going in there and taking one out of three from a top 10 team is phenomenal. Especially the way that, you know, we did take that one game. Exactly, in the fashion that we did it. Yeah, we got we got some people talking in the national baseball media. Unfortunately, we couldn't, you know, follow up on it and take two of three. But uh, you know, my expectations always two of three. But you know, I'm just a I'm just a greedy fan. You know what I mean? Um, right, but right. what we did on that Friday was that was that was a special game, and you know, it's just one game in the grand scheme of things in the beginning of the season. But it it kind of it kind of showed the potential of the offense, and it really got the bats alive and having guys know, you know, believe in themselves a little bit more. So I think that's invaluable. Uh, but that's that's all uh, we have time for uh, here at the Owl Chat Podcast. I just looked and it looks like the game in the midweek is uh, Tuesday against uh, Jacksonville State. I pulled up the uh, schedule and it will be 7 Eastern on Tuesday in Jacksonville, Alabama. It looks like it'll be on ESPN+. Plus. Uh, next weekend, we have a couple Owls scheduled to join us. Hopefully, they can both uh, make it. It will be against Longwood on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at the Shake. These are That's our first home uh, weekend series of the year. And hopefully, we can get our first home wins of the year uh, during that series as well. Uh, Josh, thank you so much for taking the time uh, you know, to join me here. I know you're doing everything you can with, the, with uh, your team in uh, Arizona. Wish you uh, best of luck um, this season, and hopefully we can have you uh, back again next season. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for having me. It was a good time. I, like, I just like talking baseball. Absolutely, and uh, go Owls. Thank you for listening to the Owl Chat Podcast. As a reminder, you can follow our hosts on Twitter X at Kai Millette and at KSU Owl Howell. Make sure you're following our show account at Owl Chat Podcast and have notifications turned on so you're up to date on all new OCP episodes. Be sure to check out Kai's publication at BigOwlBlog.com and John's KSU message boards at KSUOwlHowl.com slash forum. Until we return, stay happy, stay healthy, and as always, Go Owls!